0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. This week on
0: Meetin 3, we're bringing
1: you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it.
2: What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future.
0: It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just... It's, there's nothing like it. You yeah. know, there's, there's nothing like
2: it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier.
0: Tune in to this week's episode of Meet in Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Kotaema, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deepened understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from the studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it in this program with my co-guest. guests. And my guest today is Peter Horan, who um, joined me on episode 143 with Takuya Shimomura of Kuramoto US to talk about um, the great boutique sake labels that they represent in this country. And Peter recently spent six weeks in Japan to study sake making at eight breweries in total. So Today we will discuss his intriguing experience at each brewery along with an academic program he took in Tokyo, how he got on multiple media in Japan, and much, much more. But uh, before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and now on Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanneeds at heritageradionetwork.org. And um, now, let's start a conversation with Peter. Welcome back, Peter.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm so excited about the really interesting experience. So for listeners who have not listened to episode 143, uh, let's talk about your background briefly.
2: hmm Yeah, so I am part of Kuramoto US, or as some people know as Sake Man. So we do have, you know, this promotional side where we have these great wrestling masks to help promote sake. And we have events all over the country. Uh, I'm based in New York. Last night, we actually had a great event in uh, Midtown in Manhattan, promoting sake, getting lots of people interested in drinking sake. Mm. And our... Company Kuramoto US is actually uh, about twenty-four years old now. They were the first ones to start refrigerated shipping from Japan. So all of the great chilled sake, you know, fresh nama, unpasteurized sake, all of these things that we have, all these great flavors we enjoy now, are all starting from this company twenty-four mm-hmm. years ago.
1: Right, and the parent company JCTO—that's mm-hmm. an interesting company, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So right when they started all those years ago, JCTO was founded by i think five at that time plus they had some you know partial investors people who were interested and all of these breweries getting together that most of them founded in the um in what in the 1800s and thinking about how can sake evolve how can we get it to other places in the world what can we do to keep improving on sake mm. and so they came together and they kind of formed this company to start the refrigerated shipping
1: Mm, right and all those uh, breweries uh, that's all on the website but it's amazing collection of
2: beautiful labels it's really pretty impressive and you know this time in japan i got to visit quite a few of them like you said i was working at eight different breweries and exploring their past and it's one thing reading about it but then hearing someone say like oh yeah you know my Mm great-grandfather 200 years ago was doing this (laughs) blah 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 right yeah
1: yeah it's like um, reading a book and doing things and yeah could be different
2: so different (laughs) and that was kind of I think the summary of my experience this time that I've taken so many sake classes on tasting on production I help out with staff training for restaurants all across the east coast and Talking to servers, talking to customers, talking to anyone who will listen really about, you know, how do we make sake? What's in it? You know, what kind of food can we eat with it? Mm. And then actually going to get, you know, to talk to these people who are making it, who've Mm -hmm. been making it for years and years. And this is their whole life and their 11th generation head of a family. And this is the family business forever. And, you know, really feeling the impact.
1: Mm. Well, one thing I want to mention uh, about you, though, Uh, you are... You know, you lived in Japan. Yes. And you studied and you worked in Japan.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So starting in uh, you know university, I did a study abroad, kind of on a whim. At first, I was always interested in in Japanese culture and Japanese food, as I'm sure many of your listeners are. That's why they're here. Um, but I decided, you know, like this is a great chance in my life, like in college, just to go. Lots of support. And then I really kind of caught the bug because ever since then I've gone back every year. Uh, I studied Japanese language. I moved to Japan for two years and I'd been interested in you know restaurant business, in food marketing, and uh, my job now with the sake company is really kind of. combination Mm. of all my interests coming together
1: right and uh just to add one more thing you are athletic and judo so you understand that part of japanese culture as well yeah
2: yeah so that's another big part of our company with Sakima, and it's very focused on judo and the teachings but also athleticism and staying Mm. healthy and promoting that image as well
1: right so wrestling mask is not just a joke yeah yeah, it's (laughs) it's it's very serious stuff (laughs) right okay so um yeah so you let's talk about your amazing Mm -hmm. experience um so how did it happen you decided i want to go let me work
2: yeah so you know i got this job originally when i had moved back from living in tokyo and i was kind of looking for a job with a japanese company and in the back of my mind thinking okay you know i'll live in new york now but maybe i can find a job and they'll send me to japan i can still go back sometimes and you know i found this incredible job dealing with japanese sake and it now, not only has it let me go back there, but helps me kind of spread Japanese <laughs> culture in the U.S. also. Mm. But when I was talking to, you know, Takia, who was here with me last time, um, we were talking about kind of the importance of not only, you know, drinking sake and understanding it from the consumer side, but really getting to know it and being able to make it and study it.
1: Mm, right. So uh, it's kind of training program. Yeah, the
2: training <laughs> program and then... You know, I didn't really know what I was getting into. It turned into a very serious, intense training <laughs> program. Not right. just, you know, one week trip and standing by and watching, but actually hands-on waking up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning mm. to go, you know.
1: Yeah, well, conveniently, you will train, so. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> conveniently, right. I've been working out and speaking Japanese, so it, it right. wasn't totally a shock.
1: <laughs> right. Um, so how long, had, or how, what period did you go
2: Yeah, so I left at the end of January, and I was there until the first week of March. Wow. Yeah, it was about 38 days. Mm. And 38 days is, you know, sounds like a long time, but it feels even longer when you're in a hotel and moving to a new city every two or three days.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So it's a long trip.
1: Right, but wow, must be really life-changing. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, in no way would I have given that up. That was amazing.
1: Mm. Right, so um, so uh, obviously you visited your, you know, the the breweries that you represent. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into each brewery, what's the process of traditional sake making, so that we can just get a sense yeah, of so, what
2: you did? right, so you have some idea of what actually I was yeah. doing the whole time. Mm. So the process of sake making is, you know, everyone calls it like a Japanese wine or rice wine, but. It's actually closer to something like beer. It's a brewed beverage. So basically the steps to making sake are we're going to take our rice, whatever we decide that's going to be. They polish the outside grains to get you know, more specific flavor profiles, remove some of the uh, fats and proteins, more scientific side. Uh, they're going to wash that rice off and then they are going to soak it in water to get good moisture content, all the water we need for making koji. Mm. And we're going to steam the rice and then it's going to split off and some of it's going to stay as pure steamed rice and some will be made into koji, which I'm sure you've talked about on your show before. Um, and then the koji, the rice and then water and yeast is added into a big tank. And that's, you know, people who are familiar with beer making, that's our mash. And we start with a small mash, and we do three additions. Everything's added in, and over about you know twenty-five to thirty days, Mm, it's going to be. So that it doesn't
1: be over, over. Right, right. Because everything, yeah, (laughs)
2: everything in there is a really delicate living organism. Our yeast, our koji, these are all you know really living things, Mm. and so it's all about kind of controlling the population, making sure they have enough food, but that it's not welcoming to bad bacteria getting in mm. and spoiling it right so they keep it as a kind of small batch a starter and let it kind of populate and get really strong and then they'll add more ingredients increase the size a little bit mm. let it strengthen up again and then keep adding until we have our nice big batch mm. and let it sit let it ferment let the koji turn the starch and the rice right. into sugar mm. and then yeast into alcohol
1: right so that process Mm -hmm. up to now so you have to first of all you have to clean everywhere
2: everything constantly right because it's
1: such a bacteria Mm -hmm. you know sensitive environment yeah and you have to carry huge rice
2: yeah and then (laughs) yeah carrying bags of rice carrying water carrying you know all these clods things that Uh, have to be washed constantly and the importance of water is really felt when you're in the brewery because you have to wear these big rubber boots Mm. and just because you know like time constraints and everything there's often hoses running they're adding in water or washing something off and there's just kind of water flowing throughout the brewery all Mm. the time and so you're kind of ankle deep in water, and you really feel like it's everywhere. It's in every part of the process.
1: Mm, right. So, And also, um, you know, when the koji is being kind of grown mm-hmm. on rice, it's such a delicate process you have to watch. Yeah. Right? It's not like you can't leave it to the machine. Right. So it's 24-hour right, 20 right, right. operation. Yeah, yeah,
2: it has to be kept under pretty strict watch. And the, uh, the toji, or the master brewer, oftentimes has to come in the middle of the night and kind of babysit and... There's uh, multiple steps. There's about seven steps in the process. And because it is a living thing, it needs to, at certain points, be broken up, let the heat out, let it breathe, and so that it doesn't overheat and kind of kill itself off. Mm. So you have to constantly kind of babysit it and monitor it.
1: Right. So it's a very delicate process and uh, has to be clean Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the time. Very clean. Yeah,
2: one of the words... Uh, I think the two words I heard most often when I was there were zakin, mm-hmm. which is like bad bacteria, and arau, which is washing. Mm. So it was either, you know, wash your hands, wash the rice, wash this, wash that, <laughs> you know, constantly being told to wash something. Mm,
1: just like sushi chef.
2: Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without vinegar. <laughs> yeah, and especially as, you know, the kind of new person on the scene who is there for two or three days... I didn't know everything, I couldn't help with everything, mm. but I could always wash something. Mm. So they said, okay, go wash, go wash, go wash.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you came back in New York, your house is even cleaner than Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Pruned hands, it's right. like I had all new hands.
1: <laughs> right, so, okay. Um, so, the, the period, the sake making period from mm-hmm. November November to March, yeah. right? So you were there at the peak time.
2: Yeah, so oh. I was there at the peak time, I was there, uh, I've made a few jokes since I've been back for Shinshu season which is the new sake so in the process right around you know New Year's just about end of January when I was there they have uh, releases of kind of the first batch of the year Mm. and the, the new sake that's got its own kind of particular taste but Japanese food is very seasonal everything's celebrated for the time that it's made and produced and so that was Shinshu time and I keep saying like okay i'm done with shinshu like i've had enough Mm. everywhere i went that's that's what (laughs) we're drinking everywhere
1: (laughs) right well that's such a precious thing though Mm -hmm. right it's it's so hard to find yeah yeah
2: it's so hard to find here and Mm. now i'm you know totally spoiled
1: right sounds like you have to keep going back yeah exactly right all right so let's talk about um the breweries. so Mm -hmm. the first i was curious at the Hontem brewery uh gozen shusaki is the label yes in uh
2: In Katsuyama, yeah. In Katsuyama in Mm -hmm. Mm Okayama, That's the first brewery I went to. um, And they started in 1804. And currently they're run by a brother and sister team. The sister is the head brewer and the brother is the president of the brewery. And that was great, you know, they kept apologizing to me and saying, Sorry, sorry, everything's so old, everything's, you know, a little <laughs> antique here. Uh, the building, their brewery where they're making sake is over two hundred years old. So they kept saying, you know, I'm sorry, like watch your step, like, mm. you know, it'll be okay. Um, and I had to reassure them like this is exactly what I wanted, you know, this is why I'm here to really see mm. these things. And uh yeah, it was great. I mean, that was my first impression of Like, this is what it means to brew sake. Mm. Because I remember we were bringing the rice out of the steamer to cool down and to make into koji. Mm. And the the head brewer came over, and she looked at me, and she said, this needs to be exactly 50 degrees. Mm. I said, okay, no problem. Getting ready, you know, they'll take out equipment, anything. And she stuck her hands right in the rice, and she said, okay, this is 50 Wow! And she knew just like that, right? <laughs> wow! She said this needs to be exactly fifty, not fifty-one, not forty-nine, mm. and then just with her hand, she said, "Okay, this she is fifty. Wow! Yeah.
1: So, uh, and you said she, yes. female, told yeah, you, yeah, yeah, which
2: is pretty rare, mm. but it's really exciting. Um, I know some stores recently have been kind of featuring uh, for for March. They're featuring you know Women's Month, Women Brewers, and it's really exciting. Because they are kind of rare. Um, but she definitely, you know, isn't slowed down by that fact in any way. She's keeping up with the best of the best. Mm. And, yeah, it's really impressive. And it's it's really, it's hard work. Right. Waking up early, there's no days off in the brewing season.
1: Mm. Right. And lately, um, it's uh, the more female brewers mm-hmm. coming to the whole industry. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, last year, there's a female toji. Mm-hmm. At the age of 22, she's... She is wow. the winner of the gold medal. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a good, uh, I think, the silver lining. You know? Yeah,
2: you know, and I think it sets a really good precedent that I was at some breweries where they had a few female workers and they would ask me like, OK, you've been to you know lots of breweries, like what's it like in other places? And I told them the first brewery I visited had a female toji and they were all, you know, could you could kind of see it in their eyes. They were really proud. They were really excited. Right. And that meant for them, too, you know, they could do that one day.
1: Mm. I mean, there's no reason. There's no reason <laughs> not to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a traditional. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So next, that's the, the Shiragiku yes. Shuzo. So brewery. Shiragiku
2: Shuzo, also mm-hmm. in Okayama. They're in Bichu, Takahashi. Mm-hmm. And they started in 1886. So they're a really incredible brewery based off their rice. And I remember talking to the president the first day I was there. And he's kind of talking about his philosophy, and it boiled down to something like, you know, no breweries really use asahi rice. Mm. This one kind that's kind of table rice, it's not really used often for sake making. So their thought is, okay, we should try that one then. Mm. And they have actually two rices that they're the only ones in the world that use those rice, and they... Kind of found them by chance and really love them. So they have their own fields where they plant the seedlings every year. Wow. And they regrew those rices from 55 grains to be able to make sake mm. with them. So I think it took over 10 years for each one.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Such a forward minded place.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, the, the owner of the brewery, uh, the former owner was his older brother, but he just kind of finds these things and he gets kind of possessed and he says like, okay, I want to use that.
3: Mm. And
2: you know, there's no reason he should, no one else uses it. You know, he doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but he says like, I want to use this. Let's do it.
1: Mm. So it's, uh, always there's some, uh, kind of bold, um, evolution yeah. that happens in the tradition that's why tradition yeah exactly continues, yeah right? and
2: that's why we get these great new traditions mm.
1: okay and uh i heard that you on tv at the local tv
2: yeah yeah so they were making uh, kimoto which is the traditional style which includes you know a long time ago singing songs so you can keep in rhythm and using these giant paddles to break up the rice and stir it so that the fermentation can kind of begin. Mm. So before they used lactic acid, they needed to get the natural bacteria from the air. Mm. And they found for some reason that stirring it with these poles kind of helped the bacteria congregate and produce what they needed. Hmm. So it has to be all done rhythmically all at the same time. And that brewery only has four workers. Mm. So they invite people from all over the area, kind of local fans of the brewery, to come and help out. So they had 20 local people, maybe 22, somewhere around there. And we got a little bit of a lecture from the head brewer and the president. And they had a local TV station film the entire process.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) This is a whole community. Yeah, so
2: it was really nice. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, the yeast and the the bacteria is coming from all of you today. So Mm. today's sake has a piece of each of you. Right, and it'll change every year. Mm. And then they kind of looked at me and said, "And today we'll have New York East also.
1: <laughs> Fresh free. Yeah. <laughs> right. Interesting. So, and the next one, uh, this uh, Tenzan. Tenzan. Shichida. Yeah, we talked about it in the previous episode, but yeah. uh, I just want to hear what you learned. This mm-hmm. is such a great, sort of forward-minded. Yeah.
2: Story. Yeah. It's really incredible. Um, I'd been to these other breweries, which were a little more traditional, uh, had some older, you know, facilities and technology. And when I went to Tenzon it really kind of hit me the, you know, scientific equipment they were using to do the measures of glucose and the uh, amino acid, you know, all of the levels they're checking throughout the process where... Other breweries are using beakers that they're using a light for, something you <laughs> might see in a high school chemistry class. They had really, you know, evolved very high-tech equipment. Mm. And they actually have this huge machine that's uh, special ordered from Italy. It's wow. the only bottling machine of its kind in Japan, um, which is really amazing. But, you know, kind of put into these 100-year-old buildings,
1: mm.
2: which is a little How funny cool. to see. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> wow. So, oh, that's why yeah, their sake is more like you know that can uh, go with well with Western food. Yeah,
2: yeah. Said. So it's got a little bit of that influence. But they talked about too kind of the the flavors of uh, of Ogi City of Saga Prefecture, and the the owner Mr. Shichida really wanted me to try you know Saga beef, and try some of their local cuisine, and told me, kind of after dinner he'd always say like I want you, I'm glad you enjoyed dinner. I want you to really remember these flavors because. This is what goes with our sake and it's, Mm. you know, about these kind of local flavors and local connections. So if there's any way you think you can bring this back with you, this is what I want people to know about us. Mm.
1: So you have to export beef too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that'll be next. Right. Okay. And uh, the next one's Hatsumomiji Brewery.
2: Yes. Hatsumomiji. So that was in Yamaguchi Prefecture in Shunan City. And they started in 1819. Um but they actually had shut down for about 20 years. Mm. And they're a very small brewery, very old equipment. They have five people there now. And two of those people are um what? It was Tenchan and Takachan and they're 18 and 20.
3: What? <laughs> so
2: they're they had recently graduated a high school that has a small brewery in it. Mm. And their high school has an after-school program and a class for making sake.
3: Wow. It's the
2: only one in Japan. And they went, and I was talking to one of them, like, how in the world... Like, I was talking to her, like, you're 18, like, how in the world are you here? How did this happen? And she said, you know, oh, one of my upperclassmen kind of invited me to try this club, and I thought it was interesting. And it's, like, amazing that they were doing this in high school, and now... They're 18, 20 years old brewing sake full time.
1: Right. Well, the Japanese drinking age is 20. So. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> asking, like,
2: I stopped one day and said, wait a second. Like, you're <laughs> making sake, but you can't drink it. She kind of smiled and said, yeah, yeah. you know, in another two years. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> of course.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, unofficially. Um, all right. So, oh, that's crazy. I, I want to see that school too.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. I was so interested. And they're, you know, they had a really small building. They're actually, The building with their brewery is shared with an izakaya. Mm. Um, It's right in the middle of the city. It's a really small production. Wow. Yeah.
1: Hopefully I can, one day I can get to visit them. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, actually their brewery and the next one I think we're going to talk about Mm. are in the same city and they have a tour tour. Sake Taxi, called a taxu, mm. And it takes you around to the three breweries in the city.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, and
2: you can kind of do a little tour and sampling at each one.
1: Mm. Well, that's not a good reason, right? To utilize the full potential of mm-hmm. the, the town or city.
2: Yeah, and you know, certainly all these breweries, they're in the same industry. They've been around for so incredibly long, and they're, you know, n- not fighting in any way. They love to promote sake in general mm. and to have people... You know, be able to experience all of the breweries and really get as much of it as possible. Mm,
1: so the bigger the pie, the merrier. Yeah,
2: right. exactly.
1: Right. So and also they they revived the brewery after twenty years.
2: Yeah, after twenty years. So the current owner, Mr. Harada, and that's the the label that we have in the U.S. Also, he um, had spent a lot of time working as a sake sommelier and winning tons of competitions, and he has a really incredible palate. And then he came back and restarted his family brewery. Mm. And, you know, he has this incredible taste, incredible palate that he's known for. And so now he makes sake that he wants to drink.
1: Mm, that's nice. So that's the more adjustment to the modern palate. Yeah. It means good for the future of the sake industry. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's just go quickly the, the, the Yamagata Honten. mm mm-hmm. Right. Because we, we talked about it too the last... Um, episode, but it's a, the, actually the founder of the Kramoto? Yes, guess?
2: actually the founder of the, uh, oh, the JCTO, of, JCTO, of yeah. our company and uh, you know, he's also in charge of a brewery, Yamagata Hontan so they started in 1875 and they're on that taxi tour also, mm. they're in the same city, and they're really great, they just got a new brewer in the last few years who's actually marrying into the family so mm. it's a nice big family business right. now wow yeah and it's you know they have a lot of history they have a lot of ties with uh the old samurai families like we talked about last time Mm, i was
1: excited
3: yeah
2: yeah (laughs) and they have a lot of that um those names carried into their labels so like moriko is for mori-san who is an old samurai figure in their area Mm,
1: okay so the history but the new flavor
2: yeah exactly right yeah
1: awesome and, uh, okay, well, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we continue our okay. conversation. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Koin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Koin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the world's natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table, so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit koin.com.
0: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Souther Teague. Together, we host The Speakeasy, a show where we discuss cocktails, spirits, wine, beer, tea, coffee, and all things in the liquid universe. Yeah, our guests range from bartenders and brewers, alchemists and ambassadors, roasters and regulars, hippies and homebrewers, and every expert enthusiast in between. <laughs> Browse episodes of The Speakeasy wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Network.org.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Podcast Live from studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm Miyosa Kitema, and my guest today is Peter Hodam of Kuramoto, U.S., also known as uh, Sake Green, and we are discussing uh, Peter's unique experience at sake breweries where he helped to make sake for six weeks uh, last winter. Okay, so let's continue our conversation about the breweries. So the next one is Nate. Yes, brewery
2: Nate Brewery in Wakayama. And they started in 1866. Uh, really great brewery, kind of utilizing all these different aspects from different areas. When you're in Okayama, say that's kind of the home of omachi rice, and so it's all about you know local pride and local tradition and using that. And then when I was in Wakayama, they kind of said, "Well, we just want to use kind of the best stuff." So they brought omachi from Okayama. They have Yamada Nishiki from Hyogo. They have all sorts of different things in mm. really making oh, wow. great sake. Yeah.
1: And they use only Jumai? Mostly Jumai?
2: Um, Jumai style. Mm, a style. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: right. So that means Jumai. Yeah, so Jumai,
2: Jumai Ginjo. So no added alcohol. Right.
1: Right, so the pure flavor. But it can be Jumai Ginjo, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. But so definitely
2: for any listeners who are interested in ever making sake, I talked to the head brewer there and I told him I would be on the show and if he had any message and he said, you know, we need some more workers. So if anyone wants to come from New York to Brew Sake, <laughs> send them over.
1: Right. Someone, uh, whoever is yeah. as strong as uh, confident. right? But it's a really fun experience, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, the next one is a Suihiro Brewery.
2: Mm-hmm. Suihiro Brewery started in 1850. Uh, as we talked about on the last episode, kind of the... The founding place of Yamaha-style sake, Mm. which is pretty incredible in itself, but also in Aizu Wakamatsu in Fukushima, which is, you know, just incredible kind of samurai history and the rich, you know, history there. And um, the owner of the brewery, actually, too, is related to uh, Dr. Noguchi. So when we were taking a tour of his brewery, uh, they have a line dedicated to him, which we didn't realize at the time, but he showed us an old family photo and mm. kind of family room. And he pointed at him and said like, oh, do you know who this is? And we were trying to look like, mm, not sure. And he took out, you know, a thousand yen note. Oh. He said, like, you know, this guy. <laughs>
1: right, so Dr. H- uh, Hideo Noguchi. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. It's a full yeah. Of history. And yeah, history. It w-
2: that was like the most historical, like really interesting. Um, we talked about... You know, if you're familiar with the Byakotai, kind of famous samurai group in mm. uh, in Japan, and learning about them, learning about uh, the samurai history at the castle, which he's also involved in, right. um, yeah, learning about Noguchi, everyone, yeah.
1: Interesting. So, oh, I wish we had more time, but maybe we could just yeah. do the detailed version next time. But uh, yeah, so um, that's the well, just in Fukushima, and in mm-hmm. Fukushima obviously is really. You know, clear the name that the sake is clean, yeah. even cleaner than other region people right. say.
2: Yeah, yeah, the they've been working really hard, and you know, they still have some kind of stigmatism about mm. people worried about products coming from Fukushima. But you know, we always reassure people that they, you know, if you think you're worried, they're the ones who live there, they're even more worried, right? And so they have even higher standards of measuring everything, of controlling. And, you know, nothing would ever leave there if it wasn't safe. Mm. But they've had to work really hard to kind of promote their image back up.
1: Mm. So it's working.
2: Yeah, (laughs) definitely working. Right,
1: so let's drink Fukushima Sake. Yes. Okay, so the next one, uh, the Asabiraki Brewery.
2: Yeah, Asabiraki is a really great brewery in Iwate. And they started in 1871. And one of the... You know, great things about their brewery is their head brewer. And uh, he's one of the most awarded uh, brewers in Japan. Mm. And to the point where they were taking us through the brewery and uh, they were explaining how this is the second brewery they've rebuilt. And they took us to kind of this trophy room with plaques and awards everywhere. Mm. And they said, yeah, when we were rebuilding, you know, we had to make a bigger room just to show all the trophies. Because before, there wasn't <laughs> enough room to hang everything up.
1: Wow. Yeah. So I looked up, and like, his name is Masahiko Fujio. Yes,
2: Fujio-san. And,
1: right, and then even uh, the Japanese government grant is a very um, important uh, kind of award as modern... Uh, outstanding craftsman. Yeah, that's got kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, like
2: he's kind of received these honors of you know the highest possible level of a craftsman in Japan, and he was telling us basically in the last thirty years he's won I think twenty six or twenty seven of the national competitions for sake. Oh wow! <laughs> and you know they were showing us not only the national but for Tohoku for their region for Iwate for Nambutoji, which is kind of the famous school of brewers. Mm. And he's gotten first place in all of those categories, you know, 28 out of 30 times.
1: Mm, so we have to drink the sake. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Asabiraki. Mm-hmm. That's the brand. Okay. So and so that's that about the breweries. But you also attended uh, the Japanese Sake and shochu market, market Makers Association Academy yes. in Tokyo. So what is it?
2: Yeah, so it's kind of a long title and a little hard to understand, but basically they're the people who are um, behind kind of the sake industry on the government side. So people from uh, like the National Research Institute of Brewing, the people who are doing the research on sake yeast and where breweries buy yeast from. Mm. Um, The people who are doing all the kind of leading uh, research on what sake is how it's made and the minute chemical differences mm. so hearing you know the people who research the yeast and the dna strains of them they're the ones teaching us about yeast mm. in that class which wow. so is really pretty incredible A
1: direct source yeah wow so that was uh, how many days did you
2: so that was one week we had uh two days with various lectures for sake And on the Wednesday, we actually got to visit another brewery. Mm. So that was my ninth brewery while I was in Japan. (laughs) Uh, We went to Izumibashi Mm. and got to kind of tour their facility. And then we did two days on shochu also. Wow,
1: awesome. So anyone can uh, sign up for it?
2: So it's a little competitive. You have to write an essay. Um, It's mostly focused on industry people. Mm. And there's a lot of really, really impressive people there I met. Sake educators from Singapore, um, you know, winners of world Somalia competitions for sake from where? From Austria. There was uh, teachers from London, from uh, Sweden, kind of all over. Importers from Australia. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Lots of impressive people in that room.
1: Right. How many people were in the class?
2: So that time we had 15 and wow. this is the third year they've done the class. Mm. So I think this is the biggest so far. And in the past, they've only done about 10. Wow. Yeah.
1: So sounds very competitive.
2: Yeah, yeah. We They had over 50 people apply, I think, mm. and kind of write essays in and explain how they could get there.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, actually, I looked up. So the name of that uh, the academic pro- program is mm-hmm. Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association Academy. Yes. Right. I cannot say it fast. No, 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 no. There's (laughs) no
2: shortcut.
1: (laughs) So, and then there's a website I saw, uh, it says the sakebunka.jp slash academy. So, sakebunka is b-u-n-k-a dot jp slash academy. So, listeners, if you're interested.
2: Yes, if you're interested, (laughs) please apply. Love to have more more people involved in the program. Mm, It sounds
1: like an amazing program.
2: Yeah, it's really. Really world-class, you know, as far as people attending and also the lectures.
1: Mm, Right. And uh, also, you joined um, the awesome podcast, the second on air. Yes. One episode. Yes. I checked it was not on air yet. Not
2: on yet. Right. So that taping, we also had, uh, through our class, we did, you know, real-life practical, um, you know, pairing dinners and situations. So one night, we had gone out for a big shochu pairing dinner. And we are at an izakaya, so at the izakaya, um, Justin Potts, who runs that mm. podcast, mm-hmm. along with uh, Chris Pellegrini, mm. they came to kind of film us. And Justin helped out with the class, too. Mm. He was our translator-interpreter for that class. Okay.
1: So, right, so the, these names are really, like, if you're in Japan, in the sake industry, they're, like, yeah, they're like you huge know, names, like, yeah. yeah. And their podcast, they're still on only uh, slightly over 10 episodes. Yeah, but still it's, growing. But Sake on Air. And it's so informative. I'm a big fan of it.
2: Yeah, they're like incredibly knowledgeable. Mm. Uh, they've got a great perspective as far as being in Japan, um, but not Japanese, and helping coordinate tourism, helping coordinate, you know, kind of outreach for Sake. Mm. And they've started this podcast, which is you know, super, super knowledgeable. You can tell they yeah. really know what they're talking about. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, I have a sense of they're trying to connect the whole industry. Yeah. Like, globally. Yeah, exactly. So I love yeah, that. I think
2: even uh, Brooklyn Kura was just on mm. recently. Right. They had an episode.
1: Yeah. So, well, uh, so do you know ho- when? Hopefully,
2: you can look forward to the episode. So, like I said, it was at an izakaya during a dinner. So, they were doing kind of this live, like, mm. from the bar, from the... restaurant podcast so i know there was a lot of editing going into it so Mm. i'm not sure when it'll be out finally
1: okay so but the description is pretty clear each time so i'll I'll look for it right so it's sake on there listeners um so and while in japan you also attended uh, trade shows and gave advice on best practices for bringing sake to the u.s Mm -hmm. so what were the biggest issues for sake breweries to in order to bring sake to america
2: yeah, so actually, that trade show I was helping out, and we had sake as well as food products, mm. and there was a few, you know, different vendors, and that was in Okayama, and it was all local, uh, local vendors. And I think overall, food and sake together, really the big kind of impact, the thing that would help the most is always packaging. Mm. Um, I was talking about this with someone recently, especially for food products. Sometimes the packaging that they use in Japan consumers in america have never seen before and they're not sure how to interact with it
3: Mm. they don't
2: know if they should use it like a jam or if they should drink it or you know the way it's packaged the way that we pick it up and use it is kind of dictated by Mm. what we know so for instance uh, a black garlic spread Mm. was kind of in this plastic bag with a cap on top that If you have never been to Japan, never seen anything like that, you might not know what to do with it. Mm. And I think that can be said for sake too, that we get so many really beautiful traditional labels with really great calligraphy, but for a lot of our consumers in the US, Mm. those start to blend together if you don't read Japanese, Mm. if it's, you know, if... Sometimes the idea can be to keep the packaging simple and let you enjoy the sake. But if we don't know what we're reading, Mm. we don't know what we're getting into, it might be hard to choose. (laughs)
1: Especially because it's going to go into your body. Yeah,
2: exactly. People can be wary of that.
1: Mm. So you're saying that it's kind of not just sake. And of course, labels should Mm -hmm. be easily understandable. Yeah. uh, In the form of back label Mm -hmm. or whatever.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, a discussion that we have with our producers as well, that um, you know, as much as people don't realize there's a lot of decisions going into this and a lot of thoughts kind of in the back of your head of you might be willing to buy a bottle if it's blue more than if it's brown. Mm. And if the label has a really engaging graphic or image on it, that might be easier to understand than text in a foreign language you might not mm. be able to read.
1: Right. So it's more about um, consumer perception. Mm-hmm. Mm.
2: Yeah, and that's something that, you know, we try to help with every day, too, as far as education on sake and, you know, learning a little bit about the culture and learning enough that you can kind of help yourself and figure out what to choose and then decide what you like.
1: Mm. Right. Well, fortunately, I think sake is becoming a cool drink.
2: Yeah. Right? Yeah, thankfully. So,
1: right. So all well, thanks to you and these those people who are really... Uh, And taking leadership in this country,
2: and all the people you've had on your show too—really great people who've been working in this industry for much, much longer than I have—about you know all the painstaking work of getting it to be this kind of cool thing. Mm.
1: So I think there is also uh, you know we are forming a community of sake promotion globally too, so that's amazing. Um, Okay, so to look back, you know, reflection, what is your takeaway from the trip?
2: Yeah, takeaway. It was a long trip at the time, and now it feels like it went by so quickly now that I'm back. Um, But my experience, I mean, it really was like jumping into the textbooks and more so than just reading about all these things, but meeting the people who have been doing it for the last 40 years and that kind of experience with seeing the brewer like put her hands in the rice and saying, "Okay, it's 50 degrees Mm. or sitting with one of the owners of the brewery and, um, you know, he asked me what I thought, how a sake tasted. And I said, oh, you know, it's a little caramelly, it's a little dry. And he drank it and he said, oh, you know what, it's because the water was kind of hard. There's a mm. lot of minerals in the water that made the sake. And having those kind of like mind-blowing, mm. eye-opening experiences of people who know so much about what they're doing.
1: Right. And it's not written in textbooks. And it's
2: not written in textbooks and there's no good way to communicate that other than really seeing it for yourself.
1: Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting.
2: Yeah. Wow. So that's now what I'm trying to do. Like, okay, how do I get that feeling conveyed to people here? How do I bring that back with me?
1: Mm. Well, I think by just by saying little things like mm-hmm. you asked and you understood really opens up everybody's... It's real, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's exciting. Um, okay, so um are you planning to go back next year or is-
2: yeah i'm hoping so you know if i can get over there um you know we've been talking about i went to eight different breweries plus i got to see another one with the class but with our company we work with 20 different breweries right. so there's still plenty to visit <laughs> other places in japan right. to go to mm. lots of more food to eat
1: right <laughs> okay um all right i want to keep asking more questions but we have to wrap up so where can we find you online
2: yeah, so you can find us at sake to theworld.com
1: there's a new website
2: the new website yes mm. yeah the one we were talking about last time
1: yep yeah, so sake to the world. Yes. .com. Right.
2: and as always you can find us at go sake for instagram and you can see lots of great pictures from my trip as well mm.
1: great wonderful so keep me posted and uh, maybe you can come back sometime soon yeah hopefully all hey right. all right so thank you for joining us today. Peter.
2: Thank you. All
1: right. So if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at Heritage Radio Network. Um, that's Japanese at dot network.org or kikotem.com. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradio network.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer today is um, Matt Patterson. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you.